Good morning, everybody. Part of our reason for gathering this morning, as every Sunday morning when we gather here, is to glorify God and brag about Jesus. So it doesn't feel like we are dialed in yet. I know that there are a bunch of us who are sick. Uh, some aren't here this morning, and some of you came even though you're not feeling well. Thank you for being with us. Don't shake my hand. By the way, you can just speak at a distance. Some of you may know this little chorus, but I'm going to teach you a little chorus this morning. It goes like this. Well, before I do, just as a reminder, and if those of you who are visiting this morning for the first time, thank you for coming. We're in a series of conversations that we're calling Connect, and it's about our connections to one another. And we said a couple of weeks ago that connection is absolutely vital. It's fundamental to who we are. It's how we're made. We said that we were going to do a series of conversations on top of that one where we talked about what makes connection happen, the, the it of it, the glue. And we are going to talk about love. Well, this morning we're going to take a parenthesis from that. We're not going to talk about love this week. We'll launch that next week. But to set us up for that, I want to teach you a little chorus. It goes like this. Join me if you know it. Love, 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 love. The gospel in our word is love. Love your neighbor as your brother. Love, love, love. How many of you have not heard that song before? See, you just heard it, so that's not true. All right, let's do this again. <laughs> Join me. Love, love, love. Very good, love. The gospel in our word is love. Love your neighbor as your brother. Love, love, love. If you want to say sister, you can, because some of your neighbors are sisters. We're going to try it one more time, and then we're going to do something special with it. All right, choir. Love, love, love. Good. The gospel. Come on. Love. Love your neighbor as your brother. Love, love, love. We're going to divide the room into thirds. Now, that's awkward because we're in fourths. I get it. But so just about, about 12 or 15 of you, you pick, peel off and go this way. Here's the middle section. Ten of you peel off and go this way. Here's the outside section, and it'll go like this. Love, 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 love. You're going to keep going, by the way, as they're doing this thing. So we'll start over here, and we'll roll this way, and just sing it through one time. We'll see how we did, and then we may try it again. All right, choir. Now sing like you mean it, because we do mean it. The gospel in a word, if you had to summarize everything we talk about, if you had to summarize it in one word, you could. It's love. All right. Love, 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 love. Now that was pretty good. I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. 
It always happens. One group was a little weaker than the rest, but <laughs> this time ask for about 12 of you here to peel off and go this way. And we're going to try it again, and we're going to go through it twice. Twice. We can all count. Love, 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 love. The last one word is love. Love your neighbor as your brother. Love, love, love. That's one. And then you'll do it again. All right. Let's mix it up. We're going to start over here. Okay, choir. I was not talking about you when I did that. Come on, let's hear it. Love, love, love. Love, 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 Father, for those of us who are connected to you, it is our intention to love you and to love our neighbor as our brother, and we fall short. So we ask you to forgive us. And we give you permission this morning to penetrate past our defenses and speak to us, to draw us in to your presence. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. you may be seated. Gateway and visitors, let me introduce you to Ina York. And Ina is a servant in the Dominican Republic a woman that Gateway has had the privilege of helping and sponsoring in her work there for a number of years. Uh, she works in a village uh, out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's not to you nowhere, Ina, but to us it feels, you know where it is, yes. A village called Circadillo, and I wanted Ina this morning to tell us her story. So, Ina, who are you? Well, my name is Ina. I think we established that. So I grew up just uh, in this little bitty town in northeast Missouri, and it was a farming community. Now, we weren't farmers. My stepfather always just struggled to find a job from here to there, and, and we were the poor kids in town, and we lived on the very edge of town, and there were 10 of us living in a one-bedroom home, and so there were a couple of women. I thank God so much for these two women in this town. Emmalou Bevins and Arlene Carlin. And Emmalou Bevins and Arlene Carlin were involved you in the... You better be from Missouri if you have a name like Emmalou. Yes, exactly. Well, you could be from South Carolina. <laughs> That's there, true. But, you, know. you could be Come from on. South Carolina. Don't yeah. you be talking about Missouri. I don't think you got a lot to say. And so... Anyway, so Emmalou and Arlene, they were a part of this church in town, and they started feeling like they needed to pray. Who, God, would you want us to share your love with? And they both kind of had a little bit of passion for children and started saying, okay, God, what children in our community could we reach out to? Well, they invited me to go to this church. And I got kind of just teary when we were singing that song, Love, 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 because that's really what they did. 
that church just loved on me. And because they loved on me, and I wanted to go back again and again. I don't think they ever invited me twice. I just kept returning because they knew my name, and, and they just cared about me. And, the, and then they started telling me about a God who loved me and how that God through Jesus wanted to have relationship with me, that he loved me, Ina, from Montgomery Street. And after a while, they helped me make that relationship with Christ. And then they also started doing in this church like we did this morning. You know how this morning we stopped and we thought about what's going on in the world. And we prayed for those needs. They wanted to know what was happening in the world. So I started understanding not just that they loved me, not just that God loved me, but that God loved the world. That church continued to nurture me, and, and they would see, there were different ones that would say, we see some teaching potential in you. We see these different, this potential in you in different ways. And they said, we're going to help you. You need to go to college. Now, we could barely afford anything, so college seemed out of the way. But they helped me, and they helped me get scholarships. And along the way, they just kept saying, we love you, and we know that God has something for you. I'm so thankful for those people. This church also would have folks called that we called missionaries. We're using the words that Ed used earlier, just servants that are in different places. And I'd hear these stories, and within me, there started to be this sense of, God, I'd like to do that. I think you might want me to do that, to go somewhere else and, and to tell people about your love. Well, so it wasn't really a surprise to folks who knew me well that my first two years out of college, I taught in South Korea. There was an opportunity there to go for two years and teach some children, and I did that. Wonderful experience, came back ready to go again. And I started teaching in public schools and loved it, had lots of great opportunities for more education and more training. And all along the way, every spring, I'd say, is this the year I don't sign my contract? And instead, I go somewhere. And God just was always saying, no, no. I don't, I don't. And after a bit, I just thought I must have read too many of those missionary biographies when I was a kid. Maybe I heard too many exciting stories of snakeskins. And, well, I don't know that snakeskins were that exciting, but anyway. <laughs> and maybe I was just glamorizing it. Maybe that wasn't what God wanted for me all along. So I just kept teaching and being involved where I was. And in whatever local church I was in, I, I was connected and involved. And and then one of my friends said, said about 15 years ago, would you go with me, take my youth group to the Dominican Republic? We're going to build a building there, something. I could use some hands. Uh, I could do it. So I said, sure, I'll go. And on the plane, I said, God, show me what you want me to see. And what he showed me was a place that was open and ready. There just weren't restrictions. You could go set up a backyard Bible club, you could, without any permits or anything. Anyway, God just started stirring that up. I mean, I was going, oh no, now I got to figure out again, what am I going to do with my life? Because I thought I knew it. And now it's all back again and figured out. And so for the next couple of years, I kept going back to the Dominican and I'd go back and just with the same organization. And I'd say, you know, what can I do? Can I wash dishes? Can I wash clothes? What can I do to help? And then realized I was really kind of had a foot in both worlds. I loved my life in Massachusetts and the job that I was doing, the church I was involved in. But really since that, 
I, I, gotta, I gotta figure out what this is. Took a year's leave of absence during that time, was introduced to the village of Cercadillo, and came back, sold everything, and, and moved to the Dominican. And y'all have been with me. Gateway has been with me through this whole process. You know, when you put money in the offering, a little part of that goes to help, help me be there. Thanks for that. In the last 10 years, we've had the opportunity to do things like drill wells and put in hand pumps, because there's not electricity. We had the opportunity to put in some bathhouses, we, and we had the opportunity to start this little cottage industry where we were giving women the opportunity to make some products that many of you have bought and to sell to support their families. Through that, we saw women come into Christ. It was, it's been amazing what God has done. Again, y'all played a part in all of that. So one of the things I was doing was some tutoring along the way. And one day I'd gone out to do some tutoring and one of my little boys, Richard, I saw him and he had what looked like dried blood all over his arms. I said, Richard, honey, what has happened? I thought he has been hurt or someone has been very seriously hurt. Well, he said, oh, it's just from the party last night. I said, the party last night? Did some more investigating, found out the night before they had celebrated San Miguel. And it's a combination of Buddhism and a few other religions. And so what they were doing it early in that morning, they'd sacrificed a goat. And the people put the blood all over them because they knew they had offended gods during the year with their actions. So they put the blood of the goat on them. Some of the leaders drank the blood of the goat. And then throughout the day, the goat was cooking. In the evening, there was a celebration. And during that celebration, the leader called upon the spirits and said, spirits, you know, whatever spirits are there, spirit of San Miguel, come and give us power. Come and, and take care of the ways that we've offended you. And if there's any other spirit that wants to come and join us, come and do that. Different people tell me that during that night, the dancing around the fire gets more and more promiscuous, and a few people start convulsing, and so maybe some demonic activity going on. And uh, when I heard about that, I was so angry because I knew the leader was also uh, involved in some of our things. Now, she was really just trying to connect with God however she knew, but I was mad at her. I mean, how dare she do this with my children, our kids? And I've often said I want to just go slap her in Jesus' name. But <laughs> I, I knew it was not what I was supposed to do at the time. I went home angry and thought, well, I'll go ahead and start look at lesson for next week. The lesson for the next week that was delayed, and I was upset about that because of some hurricanes and things that had happened. But it was in God's exact timing because that next week we were to talk about the Passover. And the Passover is that great story in the Old Testament where Moses tells the people, put blood on your doorpost, the blood of a lamb, a perfect lamb, put it on the doorpost so that the angel of death, when it passes over, it won't stop at your house. And my kids could relate to that story. They had just seen the blood of a goat. They understood that whole concept in a way that I never really have. So we we're telling the story. And then I said, but you guys, guess what? We don't have to do that again because it was one sacrifice once and for all, the blood of Jesus that takes care of our sins. And our kids were saying things like, oh man, that's good. I'm glad because it's gross. <laughs> and, and some of the kids said, and it's scary. And one of the kids said to me, I know you should tell Undine, the leader, because she thinks we're supposed to do this. She doesn't know that we don't have to do it anymore. I looked over into our, we have open air buildings, looked over into the other building, noticed that she'd walked into the adult class. So I couldn't wait to talk to her. And I said, Undine, or I, or I said to the leader at, later, what happened? And they said, oh, she said, we know all about that. We're just like those Israelites. You see, 
we don't just put the blood on our, on our house. We put it on us. We put it on the doorpost of our house. And the leader was able to say, you know, that story was really just a symbol for the perfect sacrifice that was going to come, come later, the, the sacrifice of Jesus. And so they said she just looked down. And, but it was one of those times I always say, we got to, I feel like we just got to kick Satan in the teeth, say these people will not be yours. They won't live anymore under this false understanding of how to connect with you. And shortly after that, some of our first people made a commitment to Christ with their lives. Fast forward, and we're studying Acts a few years later. And in Acts, my women understand that God doesn't want us involved in that, doesn't want us involved. And so they, as God spoke to them, they said, we're not going to celebrate San Miguel anymore. Fast forward just a couple years ago, and I'm teaching Sunday school, and I'm in the youth class, and the story was about how Jesus encounters someone demon-possessed. And we know that Jesus has so much power, he even has power over that. And one of the kids said, hey, you know, that person, the way they were acting in this story, that's kind of like, remember when we used to do San Miguel? Do you remember we used to? Don't you love that past tense? When we used to? And then I was in the, in the older children's classroom and telling the story, and some of the kids said, hey, that sounds like stories I've heard they used to do. Isn't that good? God is moving. Let me quickly tell you about something that happened this spring. So this spring, again, I'm tutoring, and Juan's our little boy. He's in third grade in the public school, and we were doing Super Sabado, which is just Super Saturday, but doesn't it sound a lot better? And, and you have to say it like that, too. So anyway, had different groups going on and different kids involved in educational activities, and Juan, our little nine-year-old cap, he would just leave whenever it was math time, and he would leave angry. You could just, ah, he'd throw something over and take off. So what in the world's going on? And he said, I don't know how to add. And I said, but Juan, let me try to teach you. And, uh, but anyway, so we just got out little manipulatives. And okay, let's look. If I put two of these and I add one and put one more of these, let's count them. How many do I have? I have three. One, two plus one is three. And writing it down below, we did a few more of those. And all of a sudden, he went, oh, I can add. I can add. <laughs> And he's jumping up and down and saying, I can add. And some of the kids that are nearby are going, Juan can add. And his mom hears the commotion. She's working over at another group, and she comes running over, and he says, Mom, I can add. And she's going, oh, Juan Manuel, you can add. And, and then he went to school like as if he discovered addition. <laughs> and he's showing on the board, this is how you can add. I know addition. Gosh, I'm thankful I get to be there. So thankful. And now... You guys, this isn't going to happen until June, so I'll, we're going to do camp again. Gateway's going to be involved in camp again in June. I think it's been about five years you've been involved. You guys, this year, not going to do just one week of camp from Gateway. They're going to be two weeks of camp opportunities for Gateway. So I'm so excited about what we're going to be talking about, the themes we've been chatting about them already. Y'all have done such a great job of entertaining our kids and loving on them there because you know what? We're going back to the same things. Hey, guys, we love you. We know your name. And while you're here, we're, we're just going to make sure you feel loved on. And you know what? There's a God who loves you. And there's a world that's waiting to hear about him. And maybe he wants to use you to do that. So thanks, Gateway. Thanks for being a part of all that's what we're doing. Please keep praying for us. Let's give on a round of applause.
Okay, honestly, I'd like to give God a round of applause. The Bible says this strange thing. It talks about praying for people by laying hands on them. And I think that it's because our faith is a faith of connection. And so that's just one of the ways that we connect with one another. So we're going to lay hands on Ina. If we put her in the middle and we all laid hands on her, someone would get hurt. So the way we do that at Gateway is I'm going to lay hands on Ina and I'm going to pray. And as I do, I'm going to ask you to stretch out your hand as if you're laying your hand on her, and symbolically you will be through me. So let's pray for Ina. Father, thank you so much for your activity in Ina's life. And we thank you for those two women in Missouri who saw something in a little girl. We think of the impact of those two women, the impact that they've had around the world and in the Dominican Republic. You know, Father, selfishly we pray you would multiply the effect of our lives in just that way. Lord, we pray that you would empower and encourage and lift up Ina, her heart, spirit, mind, and body for another season of service. I pray that in this next season you would protect her physically. Lord, I pray that you would guard against discouragement and burnout. Father, we also pray for the villagers in Circadia. We pray for a season of refreshing, a new season of ingathering, a season when more people would come to know you, whom to know is life eternal. We pray especially, Lord, for the children, that you would be marking those children out for a future of service in your name. Protect the work that you've already done and expanded in this next year. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Anna. Okay, so my sister texted me yesterday, and one of my sisters has just moved from Tuscaloosa, Alabama to Birmingham, Alabama, because her son and his wife, my, my nephew Caleb, has just had a baby. So they have two now, two kids, and so they've moved to take care of or help. And they're in the process of looking for a church. So she texted me, she said, I've just been to this church meeting. She added at the end, uh, looking for a church is exhausting. Well, I want to say, I'm sorry if we've been any part of your exhaustion. But I want you to know it's worth it. This connection is worth it. This connection is so vitally important. It's worth it. The exhaustion is worth it. So today, in our series of conversations about connection, we're going to talk in particular about church. So this morning, I want you to imagine that you are a light bulb, if you would. And there are various options for you for expressing yourself if you're a light bulb. So let's go through some of those. First way that you could express yourself is you could be an accessory. You could be an adornment. This is obviously Terry Eagle wearing Phillips circa 2015. You could also, secondly, as, as a light bulb, you could be a placeholder. Some might accuse you, if you were a placeholder, of just taking up space, but I think as a placeholder, you could actually serve uh, an important function on certain occasions. Or thirdly, you could be decoration. If you place yourself artfully, you could actually be in fashion as a, a piece of decoration. Or let's add one more. You may be able to think of others, but maybe you could pretend to be something that you're not. 
And if you hang out with the right kind of people long enough in the right place, you might be able to pull it off a little bit, but if you really want to be what you were designed to be, you'll have to shed light. And that's a glorious thing to do. But there are a couple of prerequisites for you and I if we're going to shed light. Number one, we've got to be connected to a power source. You with me? You following the analogy? So if we're going to shed light, if we're going to be what we were designed to be, you've got to be connected to a power source, but not only so. There's a second prerequisite. You've got to be connected to a mechanism. You've got to be connected to a network that will be able to place you and to make the power source accessible to you, to help you in accessing the power source and put you in the right spot. All right, I'm going to suggest that for us, that mechanism is a relationship network. And I'm going to suggest that for all of us, don't miss this, all of us, that relationship network is more than your family. If you're single or if you're single again and your family is in Arizona or Idaho, then you'll have to connect to a relationship network other than your family. And even if you're 39 with two and a half kids, your mechanism, your relational network will need to be more than your family. Here's the working hypothesis. I'm going to challenge you to examine this morning. You need a church. And that begs the question, what is a church? (laughs) So we're going to talk about that for a few minutes. What is a church? We're going to read a conversation that Jesus had with a couple of his followers this morning, and this is an awesome conversation. There's only two times in his entire teaching ministry that we have recorded that he mentions the word church, and this is one of them, and it is an epic conversation. We can't cover everything in this passage this morning, but there are three things about the church that are really simple and basic. This is Church 101. There are three things about the church that we need to make note of this morning. And then there's one other thing that's not really part of our conversation, but we got to talk about it quickly because it says something about Jesus. So we're going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to start with verse 13, and we'll read through verse 20. So Matthew chapter 16, I'd love for you to look at it if you have a Bible on your phone or if you're carrying a Bible, Matthew 16, but it'll be on the screen. And let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's Word. Matthew 16, 13, when when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, hey, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Son of Man is a term that Jesus often used to refer to himself. They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, who at that point was dead. Others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That's pretty crazy. Well, what about you, he asked, what do you say? There's a measure of silence, and Simon Peter answered, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon. You are the man. Listen, that didn't just occur to you. That was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I wish we had time to talk about that and the authority that God has given the church. 
Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. You may be seated. Okay, so four things this morning, and let's do them quickly. Number one, Jesus is after lovers, not likes. In the age of Facebook, we all know how exhilarating it can be to have someone like you or like your page or like something that you just said or like your latest picture, but Jesus is not after likes. He's after lovers. Look at the context of this passage, and we dare not miss this. Jesus looks at his followers and says, what do people think of me? And then in his response to Peter, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He is either the Son of God and the Lord of the universe and the author of everything, or he is a maniacal nut job. He's an arrogant head case. He's either worthy of our worship or he's worthy of our disdain. So let's do away if any of you occupy the place of thinking, you know, Jesus is a really admirable guy and a great teacher. I don't buy most of that stuff, but he's, he's a really good teacher. Let's do away with that. Because as a teacher, if he's not the Son of God and Lord of the universe, he's a nut job, and he's extremely arrogant. By the way, if you had to narrow it down to one thing that sealed the deal for the followers of Jesus, it's this. It's the death and resurrection. And they came to realize almost immediately that that whole deal, the death and then the resurrection, was not just this freakishly unbelievable sideshow, but it had something profound to do with their lives and ours. So Jesus is after lovers, not likes. The second thing we want to say, and now let's get to the church. A church is simply a gathering of those who have been called by God. The church is a gathering of those who have been called by God. This is the simplest possible point, but I don't want us to miss it. The word translated church, the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the word in, the, in ancient Greece was used to describe, this word was used to describe a public assembly of the town, just a gathering of all the people. The word is ekklesia. It's a compound word which means called out or called from. The church is the gathering, the assembling of those who have been called by God. You got a signal this morning. You may not have known it, but you did. And the church is the gathering of those of us who have been called by God. The church is not a building. That's what we often think of a church as, a building. And we have just built a new facility, and we are really proud of it. We don't know where the light switches are yet, but we are really proud of it. So thank you and welcome, again, if you're our guest. But the church is not the building. If you had gone to Sunday school or one of those summer camps like Anna does for her kids like I did in the 1840s, then you learned this little limerick. Here's the church, here's the steeple. Open the door, and there's the people. I'm going to do it one more time for you. I'm not going to make you do it, but here's the church, here's the steeple. Open the door, and there's the people. That's completely wrong. The way Jesus would say that limerick is, here's a building, here's a pointy thing on top. Open the door. There's the church. The church is not a building. Secondly, the church is not an institution. It's not an organization. Some of us, without even thinking about it, may think of a church like this. So you think of it as some kind of organizational flowchart. This is how I often think of the church, but this is not what the church is. A church is a gathering of those who have been called by God, period. I'm sorry, we're going to say that together. A church is a gathering of those who have been called by God. On three, one, two, three. A church is a gathering of those who have been called by 
All right, now we're going to sing it. I'm teasing. We're not going to sing it. Third, Jesus builds the church. Jesus builds the church. I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Of course, Peter is Jesus' nickname for Simon, and the Greek word Peter literally means rock or rocky. So this is a play on words. Jesus has given Simon a nickname. He's saying literally, wow, you are rocky, and on this rock, I'll build my church. We have to say a word about this because a number of you are from uh, Catholic backgrounds. So I have to say a quick word about the traditional Catholic interpretation of this passage. Catholics believe that Jesus was commending Peter here in the strongest possible terms. And they believe that that commendation established a line of succession of Peter's who would serve and govern the church, a figure we now refer to as the Pope. Obviously, this is not a Catholic church. I want you to know there are a number of Catholic teachers and theologians who've been very influential on my spirituality and my spiritual development. But if this were a Catholic church, I'd have some explaining to do because I have a wife and three kids. So, about this passage... There are a variety of Protestant explanations over the centuries which have tried to undo what I honestly consider to be the mistaken Catholic understanding of this passage. But some of these efforts have just been wrong-headed. For example, it's been suggested that the word translated rock here really means pebble, whereas the word used when applied to Jesus means giant rock on which you can actually build something. This is not true. Other Protestants have suggested that Jesus isn't really talking to Peter. But that's not true either. Jesus is referring to Peter here as individually and as personally as any Catholic theologian wants to take it. And Jesus isn't suggesting that Peter is a pebble. But Jesus is also not establishing exclusive authority or infallibility, nor is he saying anything about a succession following Peter. He isn't even elevating Peter to some status above his peers. What he's doing is offering a wildly encouraging prophetic word over Peter's life and the truth that Peter has just spoken. Jesus is doing the same thing here that he did repeatedly throughout his life when he said to people, hey, your faith has healed you or your faith has made you whole. He's not saying that these people have healed themselves. He's not suggesting in any of these cases that that these people had more faith than anybody else. He's charging them, and he's encouraging them, and those around them, and us, saying, in effect, hey, this faith is what it's all about. This is where we're all headed. And in Peter's case, he's saying, hey, this kind of acknowledgement, this pronouncement, this courage, this clarity from Peter, this is what it's all about. Peter, you are the man. Do the rest of you hear that? Because this is where we're all headed. So here's the point. It's not Peter, much less Peter's successors who govern the church or preside over the church, much less build the church. That job belongs exclusively to Jesus. Jesus builds the church, and no one in that assembly should be elevated above anyone else in the assembly of the church. Jesus builds the church. And that means, if you're here today and you're connected to Gateway, pause for dramatic effect, or if you're in the process of connecting to this church, that's happening because Jesus is at work in your life. 
It's not because you live nearby or because you saw the signs. Those might be the superficial circumstances that brought you here, but you are here because Jesus is drawing you here, because Jesus builds the church. Fourth, the church will be built. The gathering that comes together in Jesus' name, called and assembled by God, that gathering will be built and it will not be overcome by any kind of evil. It will thrive and it will grow from generation to generation. The church will be built. Despite all of our hand-wringing and fretting about what's happening in the American culture, and many of us have done that hand-wringing and fretting, Despite the fact, and this is true, that those of you who are in your 20s are leaving the church by a record percentage and don't seem right now to be coming back, so I am really excited for those of you who are in your 20s that are involving yourself in Gateway. Thank you. It's not easy, I know, but thank you. But your peers are leaving the church in record numbers, and those of us who are 107 are wringing our hands over it. But despite that hand-wringing, you need to know that the church will be built. I heard a, a guy speak at a conference several years ago. Some of you have heard me say this before. And he was talking about missions. He's a missionologist, and he studies people like Ina, and he studies large trends around the world, and he offered up some statistics that are staggering. Missiologists today estimate, they don't know for sure, but they estimate that 28,000 people a week are becoming Christians in China. 20,000 people a week are becoming Christians in sub-Sahara Africa. And it's almost that dramatic in South America. At the end of his talk, he says, I want you to imagine those of us who are part of this assembly, we die one day and we go to heaven and we get there and we walk in through the gates and immediately we're going to want to find somebody like Peter or John. And we're going to go over to them. Somebody tells us, that's Peter. And we go over, we find Peter and we say, Peter, what was it like in the first century when you gave a speech and 3,000 men just decided they wanted to follow Jesus? What were those days like? It was crazy. Persecution started happening, and you were still testifying. People were still becoming Christians. That must be awesome. And this mission guy said, I think Peter is going to say, were you alive in the 21st century? Forget that. Tell me what it was like when China was exploding, when Africa was turning to Christ, and churches, churches by the dozens were being started every week. And those of us who are in America, our little crew might be embarrassed because we missed it. The church will be built and if this little ragtag group of people, and we're not a very large group of people, but if this little ragtag people decides that we want to get serious about this principle and about the idea of being the church, the church will be built. People will come to know the love of God. So, fellow light bulbs, here's the challenge. What do you need to do to strengthen your connection to the network? Literally. 
What's the next step for you? What do you need to do to find the, your exact right spot in the mechanism so you can shine? What's the next step for you that will enable you to shine even more brightly? I'm going to do a quick advertisement. We offer a seminar where we just kind of tell people what it means to be connected to Gateway. And if you're a guest or you've been a guest for the last several weeks, I want to encourage you to participate. We call it Gateway to Gateway. The first part of it is a series of videos on our website, and it's just basic Christianity, what it means to be a Christian, how we do communion, how we do baptism. We talk about that. We talk a little bit about what it means to be Gateway. And then after you've done that, we do a two-hour afternoon, usually on a Saturday, with me here for any of you who want to participate, and I will tell you the specifics about Gateway how we make decisions, how we use our money, how you can get involved. So I want to encourage you to step up to that and try the gateway to gateway. Take a deeper dive. I don't know what the next right step for you is, but I am encouraging you in the strongest possible terms to really think about what's next for you. And if it's not at gateway, that's great, but find a place where it is for you. Find the right mechanism. Find the right relational network so you can really plug in, not a place where you can come and sit. I want to be honest with you. Especially if you're exploring spiritually, come and hang out and listen as long as you want to. I hope that God begins to tug at your heart. But I also want to give you a warning. I'm going to make it as hard as possible for you to come and sit and do nothing. I want you to invest and I want you to shine. All right, we're going to do this very quickly because we're going to participate in the high water mark of our worship this morning. We have this practice that we use here at Gateway that the people who've been here for a long time just love, all of them. So we're going to turn our chairs toward one another and we're going to put ourselves in groups of four or five, no more than six, no less, so three to six, at least three no more than six. You are literally going to turn your chair and circle up. We call it groupletizing, and once again, we love it. Can I get an amen from Gateway? Amen. Yeah, I said that was very weak. So real quickly, turn your chairs into circles, literal circles. You've got one question this morning. Here's the question. Why do most people in our area not connect to church? And by a huge percentage, this is the case. Why do most people in our area, we're one of the most blessed areas in the world, why do most people in our area not connect to church? Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he gathered for the Passover meal that Ina was talking about. They'd been celebrating that meal for 1,400 years, and Jesus did what no self-respecting rabbi would ever do. He reinterpreted a 1,400-year-old meal, and he said, this bread that we're taking this morning, this bread is my body, and this cup is my blood. <laughs> what? So to prepare us for this, this is such an extraordinary privilege. By the way, if you're our guest and you can participate in your fellowship, you can participate here as well. If you are not connected to Christ, I would encourage you to just allow the elements to pass by you. It's okay if you participate, but I would encourage you to allow it to pass by you. But if you're connected to Christ, you're welcome. And let's confess our sins together. We want to take the slime 
that has been deposited on us by our own actions and our own thoughts and the things that we have done this week. We want to deposit them before him. Let's say this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that we do not have to put goat's blood all over us this morning. All we have to do is say, please forgive me. We're glad to do so. We've been promised that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just and you'll forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We receive that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's confess our faith together as well. This is why we're doing this. This is why we gather here. Let's confess our faith by reading the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Hold on, i got to say this again. I've said this before at Gateway, but this is the Apostles' Creed. We don't know exactly when this was written, a few hundred years after Jesus, but the church has been saying this for hundreds of years, and there is a pantheon of names that you would expect to be dialed into something like the Apostles' Creed. And of all the names that are available for the Apostles' Creed, Pontius Pilate gets a mention. <laughs> Why? This is their way of signaling, this really happened at a particular point in time and place in history. This happened. He died, and three days later, he walked out from the grave, and he didn't smell. Was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Peace of the Lord be with you. Son of God, let's hear it. Son of God, shaper of the Same stars. melody. You alone, the dweller of my heart, mighty King, how beautiful you are, how beautiful. Second verse. Son of God, the Father's gift to us, you alone, broken on the of you know it, sing it. Jesus, oh Holy One, I sing to you, forgiven, 
shed for the forgiveness of your sins. He was, in effect, saying, we're going to do this once, and this is good enough because it covers everything. And one day there are going to be some children in a village who need to hear that. Let's pass the cup. Let's do verse 3, choir. We don't pretend to understand this, but we're blown away at the privilege of participating in it. The blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take it and drink. Let's try that chorus one more time. Jesus, O Holy One. Choir, let's hear it. Jesus, O Holy One. Jesus. 